Hello, everyone, and welcome, of course, to Global Supply Chain Week. I'm Anthony Smith, Chief Economist here at Freight Waves, and I am certainly excited about this upcoming conversation because we have Rosemary Coase, who is the Executive Director over at the Reshoring Institute, and we are just thrilled to have you back with us, Rosemary. And of course, you're executive director there, but it doesn't stop there. You also have your own management consulting firm where you are an expert witness at as well. You're also a best, best-selling best author and have a, a long history here in the supply chain. Thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. And so, Rosemary, jumping into it, um, leading in with one of, of course, uh, your expertise here at the, the the global supply chain week we're talking about reshoring and of course you are founder and executive director over at the reshoring institute and this has been uh, just such a big topic as of late of course um we got to hear you from uh, f3 really hearing about all the fascinating trends that's been happening but this has been something that you've been watching for quite some time um when you're looking at reshoring what do you think some of the big benchmarks are going to be throughout the new year in 2023 yeah, well, reshoring is not a new idea. We've actually, the Reshoring Institute has been around for going on seven or eight years now. Um, and it, it all started back in 2012 when Barack Obama and Mitt Romney were, were, um, running for president and they were both China bashing like crazy. And I had been doing a lot of work with my clients offshoring to China, setting up factories in China, um, expanding there, sourcing there. And as uh, Obama and Romney were China bashing, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, man, I can't tell anybody what I do for a living. This is awful. Um, and actually, it sparked a lot of conversation with, with clients who um, asked me, do you, you know, would it be possible to bring stuff back? Or they just didn't believe it that, you know, there is any way we could compete in the U.S., but that trickle of converse, conversation got bigger and bigger and bigger over the last few years. And then with the pandemic, the, that was the real kicker um, because so many companies uh, experienced risk in their global supply chains, shortages of parts, delayed parts, um, communication difficulties, all sorts of things that happened in global supply chain. And then, of course, the port congestion and the results of all of that. And uh, so now, um, you know, reshoring is like a hot topic, right? It's on every every board agenda and all, all, most of the companies. I think I, I saw a survey recently that about over 80% of companies in America were considering reshoring. Um, but that doesn't mean that you're going to rip everything out of China and bring it all back to the U.S. It's, um, it's more subtle than that. Um, what we're seeing mostly right now uh, is companies that are starting to rebuild their supply chains inside the U.S. So domestic sourcing, for example, those parts that they were getting from China, they're now trying to do domestic sourcing for them. Uh, there is more expanding of operations in the U.S. where in the past, um, you know, my clients would say, get me to China. And that was kind of the answer, right? In today's environment, there's a lot more thoughtful analysis and strategy work that goes into that decision-making. So we're seeing uh, companies that are interested in expanding their operations here, bringing some of their production back, domestic sourcing, all these things are contributing to expanding in the U.S. and certainly will be a boom to our economy here locally. 
Certainly will be. And I think this is one of those big areas where, of course, I'm thinking from a macroeconomic standpoint, um, we look at industrial production, it, it remains very high, you know, generally speaking, it, it continues to increase, you know, year after year for the most part. But a lot of our production uh, domestically has been, uh, you know, more capital intensive. And so we're seeing more, you know, higher tech investment. But we're looking at reshoring here. Um, what are going to be some of the hurdles that we're going to have to jump through? Because I know um, that other aspect of labor is going to be a definite um, need. We're looking at skilled labor and things like that. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. So there are a number of hurdles, obviously. And, you know, I think we have to think about reshoring and rebuilding manufacturing in America on a different level from what our grandparents did. So my, my grandfather was a metal worker at a company in Warren, Ohio. And I can remember he, he came home from work and he was dirty and smelly and greasy and it was gross, right? And when I have anything to do with manufacturing. Uh, but I live in Silicon Valley, and I can tell you that the manufacturing groups around here, you have to get in a bunny suit and you're in a, you know, clean environment and it looks very different. The factory floor is full of computers, um, that move production along or test for quality. So these, these kind of changes represent a significant shift in skill levels and the kind of workers that are going to the factory. You know, quite honestly, we don't want the 23 cent a, a, uh, an hour t-shirt production back in the U.S. What we want are high tech and highly automated production processes that pay a better living wage, but they also require a higher skill level. So in my view, I mean, there's lots of open jobs in the U.S., over 2 million open jobs, and there are lots of people unemployed. The mismatch is that the skills that are required now are not the skills that those available workers have. So if you think about manufacturing today, it's full of computers, full of communications, full of, uh, you know, different techniques, and, and it doesn't look dirty and smelly like it used to. And that means that our, we need to reskill our workers. So I really think we have a, 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 um, education and skills problem. Not, um, not, you know, a, a labor shortage problem per se. So we need to reskill those people to be able to fill the jobs. Definitely. And I think, um, a big part of that, <clears throat> excuse me, is really where there's been so much emphasis put on, you know, kids in high school on, you know, which majors to pursue, how to go about it. Then there's this huge, of course, MBA boom. And then, you know, now there's a computer science boom, which, both very much needed. Um, but like you said, we get this skills mismatch here. Um, when we're looking at, like you said, definitely that need for um, that high tech type of manufacturing of, and, and reshoring. There's been this conversation, of course, around nearshoring as well. Um, that a lot of folks are kind of looking at as a maybe like a stopgap and um, really almost seeing as this is just the first step to reshoring. But what are going to be some of the differences here and really the advantages for reshoring instead of nearshoring? Yeah. So, you know, reshoring, obviously, um, lots of our clients are interested in going to Mexico. Um, so we, we just finished a, um, a study where we compared labor rates in 12 countries around the world. And uh, China, surprisingly, is right in the middle of the pack now. It can't be considered a low-cost country anymore. The labor rates are too high, and so are the operational costs. 
Uh, but the, on the low end, what shifted on the low end is now India, Vietnam, and Mexico are on the very low end. That study is available on our website at um, resharinginstitute.org. Uh, but what we're seeing is um, a lot of companies that are interested in Mexico, um, which we would call nearshoring, uh, because the labor rates are low, the capacity is pretty good, and you don't have to wait for your container for two months in the harbor in Los Angeles. You can just drive across the border. And then with the USMCA, a lot of those goods coming from Mexico are come in um, under USMCA duty-free if they qualify. So, you know, there are a lot of advantages to Mexico. The problem with Mexico is it's not America. And if we we're really sincerely interested in rebuilding the economy in America and rebuilding manufacturing in America, you have to establish your operations here. Uh, so, um, and all of that is fine, well and good. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of issues related to that. Uh, but I, but I think we also have to take a step back and think about your product. So if you have high labor content in your product, that means, um, so for example, if you're, uh, making apparel and you have, uh, sewing, a sewing shop, um, that's a lot of labor content, uh, content. Or, uh, if you're making athletic shoes, for example, I, I worked for a client a couple of years ago and visited, uh, all of their, uh, factories in Vietnam and in China. And I was astonished to see how many, how much labor was involved in making athletic shoes. So, you know, when you turn your shoe over and there are those little black sections or different colored section patterns on the back, each of those little squares are individually glued on by a person, right? So the labor content is huge. So when you have products like that, you want to look for a low-cost labor country or a low-cost labor environment sort of central Mexico, for example, instead of at the borders. But if you have an automated uh, an automated production or production that doesn't require so much labor, let's take textiles, for example. While apparel is high, high touch labor, the making or manufacturing of textiles is very automated. So in that case, you could bring back the textile production with an automated factory uh, and then perhaps send, send the sewing of apparel off offshore to a low cost labor country. So, you, you know, you really have to think through these decisions. It's not simple and it's often not very easy. Uh, and then um, you asked about hurdles, too. So, you know, there's a lot of welcoming environments in the U.S. these days. There's a lot of states that are offering incentives. The U.S. government uh, sort of awakened and uh, now is putting uh, money and assistance into helping certain um, certain sectors to come back. For example, semiconductors is burgeoning right now. There's semiconductor plants being built in several states across America, um, pharmaceuticals, um, EV production. So, you know, these are these are areas where we need to emphasize. Um, so there's a lot of those kind of incentives being offered. But there are also many hurdles when you're leaving China. So that's that's a whole other topic. Very difficult to extract yourself from China. But I'm I'm here to tell you, you better be thinking about it because the situation in China is not going to get any better. It's going to continue to deteriorate. Rosemary, I, th I think those are definitely some 
wise words there. I mean, and and I think you, you hit the nail right on the head. We're looking at reshoring. It's really around um, more so honing in on some of the capital intensive efforts more so than the labor intensive ones, which could still be maybe done nearshoring or, or still overseas to some extent. Um, we're looking at, um, you know, some of those initiatives really with re- nearshoring. Are there any um, uh, benchmarks that you are kind of uh, wanting to see whether it might be this year or maybe in the next five years in our reshoring uh, initiative here in the U.S.? Well, I, I think, you know, it's really hard to capture any valid statistics. So as a general rule, we can see that labor uh, is increasing and there's certainly a lot of people that will publish uh New press releases and news articles about building a plant here or putting 200 people to work or that sort of thing. Uh, but there are no valid statistics. So the U.S. Department of Labor does not um, capture reshoring jobs, only jobs growth in the U.S. Um, so there are some other uh, groups and agencies that publish statistics, but they can't be verified. So you got to keep that in mind, first of all. However, I would say that it's directionally correct. We are on a positive note. We are indeed building our labor force in the U.S. And we can tie that to many reshoring uh, initiatives that um, that include uh, rebuilding manufacturing here or putting more people to work here. Uh, so, you know, that's that's it's definitely happening. There's no question about it. We are we're busy helping lots of clients with their reshoring efforts and their product labeling efforts and their uh, location discussions and all of that. I mean, you can you can just feel the momentum and the amount of inquiries we get. Awesome. And Rosemary, of course, it's been amazing to have you on for this this chat here. Um, real quick, before uh, we conclude this conversation, as I mentioned at the beginning of this talk, um, you are a best-selling author. Um, can you give us your latest book, maybe, or uh, where people can reach out and find more about you? Yeah, all of my books are on on uh, Amazon, so you can um, search on my name, Rosemary Coates, on Amazon, um, and they're, they're all available there. My my most recent book I wrote together with an attorney. It's called Legal Blacksmith: How to Avoid and Defend Supply Chain Disputes, um, and that is. Um, really um, kind of an interesting sort of handy desk reference. Um, The first part of each chapter is about the functional area, for example, forecasting or planning or warehouse management. The back half of the chapter was written by my co-author, Sarah Rathke. She's an attorney in Cleveland, a supply chain attorney, actually. And she wrote the back half of each chapter on the legal um, clauses and precedents that you need to consider when you're putting together um, supply chain contracts and so forth. So it's really an uh, interesting book for s- supply chain professionals. And um, I'm working on a sixth book. Keep my fingers crossed it's going to be this year. Um, it's, a, it's a lot of hard work to write a book. Um, and uh, that one will be interesting, too, although I'm not quite ready to announce what it's all about. Well, Rosemary, I know I will be for sure waiting for that sixth book announcement. And thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thank you. And thank you all so much for tuning in. That's going to do for this fireside chat, but this is the Global Supply Chain Week and we have tons more content coming up.